What's up, church? Hope you guys are doing good this morning, and I uh, hope you're excited to be here, excited to hear what uh, God has for us this morning out of His Word. We're going to continue a series today, which is the second week in a series called Everyday Christian. And in this series, we're going through the book, the book, the book of First Peter. And uh, today we'll stay in chapter one. We're going to finish up chapter one. Then next week we're going to skip ahead a little bit um, in, in, on into the book. But today we're going to be in First Peter chapter one, starting in verse 13, where we actually left off last week. And this series is really about how we live our lives as everyday Christian, what God wants from us and for us as everyday Christians. And so um, today we're going to be looking at the subject of holiness and that God calls us to be a holy people, people who are set apart um, for him. And so we'll, I'll explain a little bit more about what that means, what that looks like, and, and uh, we'll jump into the message in just a second. But first, before we do, I want to read to you the first three or four verses there, um, beginning with verse 13 in chapter one of 1 Peter. It says there, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Before we go further, when he says, therefore, he's talking about um, all of the things that happens or that he talked about in verses one through 11 um, or one through 12, where he talked about our hope and us having hope in Christ. And because Jesus has been raised from the dead, we have hope. And so he's saying, therefore, since we have this, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. And this, these two verses are kind of our, our core verses today. But Jesus, but ju Jesus, that's just. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I'm holy. So let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word and thank you for life and thank you, God, that we can come to you. God, I, I'm, I'm today just um, in awe of who you are and, and your holiness, God, your perfection, your goodness, your nature that sets you apart from every other created being, God, that you, that, that, that you are, are whole and perfect in, in yourself. And so, God, today I pray that we'd be able to catch a glimpse of that and God, that it would awaken us to who we are in you and who you want us to be, God. Let your word have power in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. How many of you made a New Year's resolution this year, maybe to get in shape a little bit, um, do a little exercising? Well, actually, before the new year, a few of you, um, before the new year, I decided I was going to start exercising as part of this feeling better, getting well kind of thing. I um, decided I'd start back exercising, so I started going back to the gym. And I've been working a little bit, now, not, not terribly hard, to be quite honest, but I've been working. Um, and I've uh, been going about three or four times a week and getting there. And, and uh, after I lift a little bit of weights, one of the things I always do is I get on what's called a stair mill. Um, and it's one of these things like a treadmill, but it's stairs. And so you just keep walking and it's kind of like the machine from hell, to be honest with you. But somebody told me that it actually is one of the best ways to burn fat. I looked in the mirror. I was like, there's fat. I need to burn that. And so I decided I'd get on the stair mill. Well, just to tell you how good a shape I'm in, I went the other day and I climbed up on the stair mill and I climbed up and when I got up on top of it, I recognized that there was a girl I knew, a friend of mine who was on the one next to me. And she looks over at me and she says, how are you? And, you know, we kind of exchanged our greetings. How are you? Good. How are you? And she goes, 
don't go dying on me up here now. And I was like, what kind of shape am I in that somebody's worried about my heart stopping beating while I'm exercising on this machine? And then, you know, the other day too, I was noticing like, I don't know, some of you probably have this little bit of a problem too, that you start noticing your jeans want to flop over your belt. Have you ever noticed that happening to you? Some of you guys, come on, be honest. It's something that happens, I guess, to all of us maybe at some point in our life. I um, started noticing that that happening. Um, I went the other night and was, was getting some clothes out for the next day and started putting on some jeans and I started noticing I had about two pair of jeans that still fit me. Um, and, and I was like, what in the world? You know, and, and I realized that most of them, when I put them on, they looked like somebody had given me a wedgie when I was wearing them. And so I was like, can't wear those. And so um, I, I say all that to say this. I've noticed that some things are out of shape, right? Physically, there's some things that aren't the way um, they really need to be. I need to get some things back right and get my body um, back healthy and in shape again. And sometimes it's really easy to recognize those outward physical things that, that our body is, is changing, that something's going on. And it's easy to recognize those things. But I think it's a lot harder sometimes to recognize those things on the inside that are going on. I think sometimes we go through life, we just keep going through life and we keep doing life, not really paying attention to what's going on inside of us and, and not go, paying attention to the things that maybe are changing inside of us and how we feel, how we look, the, the way we live our life, um, the things that are coming out of our life, we, we sometimes don't pay as much attention to. And today I really want to draw attention to that. I want to talk to you about what goes on inside of us and how that's lived out of us because God wants to change each one of us. Here's the thing that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt today is that every single person in here, there's something in you, there's something in me that God wants to put his finger on, that God wants to touch, that God wants to change so that he can make us more like himself. That is what holiness is really all about. It's, it's, it's God's nature, it's who he is, it's his person. And God wants us to become like him. And the reason he does is because it brings him glory. When we, we are in the image of God, it fills the earth with his glory. And so he wants to be shaping us and molding us to be more like Christ. If you wonder what God looks like, what God's nature's like, and you say, well, how, how can I even understand that? Well, look at Jesus. Because Jesus is the express image of God. That's what the Bible tells us, that he is the image of God. So we can look at Jesus and we can see what God is like. We can understand more of who God is. And so God wants to make us more like Christ so that when people look at us, they can actually begin to understand the, the, that God is who he says he is and begin to see the nature of God. Now, we've all got room to grow in that, every single person in here. But my hope is today that by the time we leave here, God's put his finger on some things and begun to work on some things that you and I, so that you and I can become more like him, become more like Jesus. And so today I want to talk to you about some things that hinder us, or maybe a better way to put it is to ask the question, why don't we live holy? Why don't we live like Christ? And, and, and the simple answer is that we all have a sin nature. We all have sin in our life. And so that keeps us from looking like Jesus. But I want to take it a little deeper than that and begin to understand some of the roots of it and how, how we overcome that, how we change that, how, how do we work in that? How does God work in us so that we become someone different, so that God is able to do a great work in us? So the very first one comes out of the first verse we read. It says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. 
The first thing that I think hinders us from being able to live holy is that we focus on the do's and don'ts and we don't focus on what's been done. We focus so much on the do's and don'ts that we don't focus on what's been done. We focus sometimes as Christians, as believers, as people who um, are trying to be good church folks, right? Um, We focus so much on the do's and the don'ts. We focus so much on the sin that we lose sight of Jesus. We lose sight of what he says we need to set our hope on, and that is grace. He says we need to set our minds and have our minds be alert and fully sober and setting them on his grace, not forgetting his grace. Grace today, I want you to think about that as his unmerited favor, his unconditional love, his, his love for us that we don't deserve, his forgiveness that we don't deserve, his mercy that we don't deserve. And so he's saying, set your mind on this, set your hope on this, the forgiveness that I've given you that you really don't deserve, but I've given you through Jesus, through my son anyway. I've, I've, I've made you righteous through my son. And so he wants us to see this and to fix our eyes on this, not fixing our eyes on the do's and the don'ts. Here's the thing that I've learned in my life is when I focus my eyes on sin, um, I can do so much in my own strength. But when I focus my eyes on Jesus, it's amazing what happens when I allow his spirit to work in me because I'm pressing into him and he's changing things on the outside of me. He works from the inside out. I remember one time when we lived, the house we lived in right before the one we live in now, um, I had some azalea bushes. I don't know if you've ever done like war with azalea bushes. I did for a couple of years and I would go and I would cut them down and I would think, man, I'm getting rid of them because I just didn't like them. I didn't like the way they looked and where they were. And I would cut them down and every year they came back bushier than they were before, right? And I was like, what in the world is going on? I'm trying to kill these things. They won't die. And so finally one year I took my truck and just hooked a chain around them and I yanked them up and just had left big holes in the yard, but I just yanked them up out of the yard to get rid of them. And they didn't come back after that, right? But the thing is that all I was doing, I was actually helping them come back stronger. And sometimes I feel like we do that in our lives with sin is we try to pick the bad fruit off of our lives. We try to get rid of sin and it just seems like it comes back more and more. I don't know if you've ever had that struggle, but something you're wrestling with, something that you know you're convicted of in your life that I don't need to do this anymore. I I need to stop this or maybe I need to start this. And so you, you wrestle with it and wrestle with it and wrestle with it. And it seems you can never overcome it. And many times the reason for that is because I've got my eyes fixed on the problem, not on the solution. And so we need to put our eyes on the solution, Jesus. We need to press into him and his grace, his unmerited favor, his unconditional love, this love that we didn't deserve. Because it's through that, through him, through Jesus, through his grace that he sends us his Holy Spirit. If we're ever gonna live the life that God wants us to live, if we're really gonna begin to be made in the image of Jesus, if we're gonna begin to be made more holy, it's gonna be because the Holy Spirit is working in us, in us to work through us, and so that our lives begin to change, our lives begin to transform, things begin to look differently. And see, here's the thing I realize is that so many people spend so much time over here focused on the do's and the don'ts, focused on the sin, focused that this becomes our entire mindset of Christianity. There's an entire group of people, I mean, just millions of people who have their mindset of Christianity is the do's and the don'ts. Their mindset of Christianity is make myself a good person. But I don't believe that God was out to try to make good people. He was trying to make followers of Jesus because he knew if I can make followers of Jesus, then they're going to become more like me. 
just by the nature of following him, just by submitting our lives to him and keeping our eyes on him. And so we, we focus so much on all of this stuff over here that we forget about him. We forget about his grace. We forget about the relationship and we forsake what's great and what's awesome and what's sweet for what kills, for what stifles, for what suffocates the life of God out of us. And so today, the first thing I want to really encourage you with, and this is huge because, listen, we've got to get this right before we move to the next things. Because if we don't get these right, then what we end up with is a rules-based religion where we're trying to earn our salvation. But God is holy, right? Can you imagine this? It, it, trying to earn our salvation, trying to do enough good things so that we can measure up to God, so that we can be accepted by God, trying to follow all the rules perfectly so that we can be accepted by God. And, and, and I was thinking about this. I can tell you exactly where I was the other day when this happened. And, and I had this thought. I was driving up underneath the red light over here at um, Highway 80 and 301, over to kind of near Walmart right there. And as I was driving under it, I had this thought, what if I did stand before God with my good works and that was what was supposed to get me in to heaven, to be in his presence for the rest of my life? What if I stood there with just the, the little good works that I do um, compared to this holy, perfect God? And I can tell you in that moment, I felt like the Lord was speaking to me and, and I really ha I had a shiver kind of go up my spine a little bit because I realized to stand before him with nothing other than what I've done falls so far short of who he is and the standards that he set for me. It's why I'm so thankful today that we have Jesus, that we have his, his sacrifice, that we have his righteousness, that we've been given his righteousness, that he's given that to us. We talked last week about the demoniac in Mark chapter five, verses one through 20. I wanna refer back to him because I feel like this is really something that applies to us today. Mark chapter five. I'm just giving y'all time to get there. Mark chapter five, beginning in verse one, it says, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained and hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him night and day among the tombs and in the hills. He would cry out and cut himself with stones. We talked about last week how Satan's come in and is tormenting this man and how, how his life is literally being taken from him because of what Satan's doing in his life and how sometimes we can feel that way. Satan's having his way in our lives. But it says, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. 
When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So you see this man who was tormented, all of this, 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 this um, upheaval in his heart, in his life, in his core of his being was disturbed. And, and you, but you see when he comes into contact with Jesus that he does a work in this man's life. He cleans him up. He cleans him out. He does something inside of him that you then see begin to be manifest on the outside of him. It says that when the people saw him, he was sitting there dressed and in his right mind. I was reading that again this week and I thought about how when he's sitting there, he's, he's peaceful. He'd found peace. I thought about how he's dressed. I thought about how Christ dresses us. He clothes us in righteousness. He gives us his righteousness. It's a great trans transaction. He gives us righteousness for our sin. I thought about how we are changed in our mind, how God begins to renew our minds. And it made me think back to 1 Peter that our minds are to be alert and sober, to be ready for action, to be ready to go. And I want you to see that this is somewhat of a picture of what God does when we come in contact with Jesus, when Jesus begins to work in our lives that he gives us peace, that he dresses us in righteousness and he begins to get our mind ready to go and to do the work that he has for us. And we know that that's what happened with this man as he went away and began to tell the people from his own town all about what Jesus had done. And so in this, I want you to be able to see the grace of God. What did the man do? What did this guy who was possessed by these demons do to earn that? He did nothing. He just received what Jesus did for him. And it's the same way with us. And yet Jesus gives us the power to overcome. He gives us the power to, to have victory over those sins in our lives that seem to just be nagging. He gives us power to become more like himself, to become more holy. But it comes through him when we're focused on him and when we're looking to him not looking at the rules, not looking at the do's and the don'ts and realizing that our conviction of sin is to lead us to a relationship and to focus on Jesus so that he can do a work in us and then do a work through us. The second thing I see in this and the hindrance that I see in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, it says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The second thing that I think happens so many times is that we fall back into our old ways. We fall back into our old ways. See so many people who they come to know the Lord and they begin their path of following him and then it's not long before they begin to drift right back into what they used to do, what, the way they used to live. But he, he's saying in this, he's telling us, listen, don't do that. When, the, don't live the way you lived when you were living in ignorance. He's saying, you know better now. Live a different way. You know Christ. He's done a work in your life. Continue on. And the thing I felt in my heart this morning to really tell you and to encourage you with is don't turn back. Don't stop. Don't turn around and go the other way. You, you think about if you're cutting through a forest with a machete, a jungle, and you're cutting your way through, which way is it easier to go, forward or behind you? 
It's much easier to go the way you've already cut, the way you've already been. But I'm telling you, God's calling us to be pioneers of the faith. God's calling us to take new ground for his kingdom. God's calling us to be a people that moves forward, not that retreats in fear of what Satan wants to do, but people that moves forward. I'll tell you the truth. When, when I started the time off that I, I took to try to get my health back and get, get going again, um, I'll be honest with you. I wondered if I'd ever stand up here again. I think the thing that scared me was that last day that I preached and then when we made the video and did the announcement, it really scared me because I wondered, will I ever do this again? And I can tell you there's been days when I didn't want to do it anymore. And I was just tired. I was ready to throw in the towel. I was ready to give up. I've even asked friends of mine, hey, you hiring? To do what? Whatever. And that's just being perfectly honest with you. But the thing I can tell you is I know that God's put in my heart not to turn back. Not to, to, to turn away. Not to run from it. But to press into it. And the thing that I want you to do and I want you to see is that here's what I'm willing to do is I'm willing to keep pressing on. I'm willing to keep pushing forward. And I want you to do that with me one step at a time. As we walk this out, as we are a part of a people who love each other and are willing to walk this thing out together, who, who listen, you can't be holy without love. Love is a part of God's nature. Love is who God is. You can't be holy without loving one another. And I'm telling you, we need to be a people that loves each other in the holy way, who loves each other in a way that when we're walking together, when one of us stumbles, we don't kick each other while we're down, but we bend over and pick them up and help them get back on their feet to continue to walk. And we need to be a people who love each other each other in such a way that when we do fall, when we do trip, we're there to catch them and, and, and remind them of God's grace that picks them up. We're not here to kick them when we're, they're down, but we're here to pick them up, to help them continue. And I'm willing to do that if you are. I want to keep pushing forward. I want to keep taking new ground. I want to continue to, to be a church that, that takes back from the kingdom of darkness what belongs to the kingdom of light. That's what God's called us to be and called us to do. The next one in verse 17, verse 15, we've read on uh, 16 about uh, just, it says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Verse 17 says, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. I think the next thing that hinders us from living holy is we've lost our reverent fear of God. Not just the world. We know that the world, we know that the culture around us has no, they've, they've lost all reality of God, all, all fear of God. But I believe in the church, we've lost a sense of reverent awe, reverent fear of God. See, when I was growing up, there were six words that changed every situation I was in. And that was, I'm going to tell your father. I am going to. Seven words, sorry. I'm going to tell your father. And when, when my mom would say that, like, I straightened up. Because my dad knew what to do with a belt, right? 
It wasn't just something that held his pants up. It was something that he used, and, and, and it was often used against me, right, if I, if I didn't do right. And there was this reverence that I had for him. Now, he was a good father, is a good father. And the thing that I realized, though, is that, that as a good father, that was part of what he did was he disciplined me. And I want you to see that we have an interesting, a cool situation with God. And Peter brings it out right here. He says, since you call on a father who judges. Isn't that interesting? That before Peter reminds us that God is our judge, he reminds us that he is our father. And so he tells us that your father who judges, that the one who we stand before, he is, he is our father. He is our Abba. He is our daddy. He is the, the good father to us. But we can't forget that he's also the judge that every one of us will stand before and give account of our works. If we're in Christ, it's not that our salvation is in danger because that's sealed up in Jesus. But it, it is the reality that if we're in Christ and our salvation is sure that our works are going to resemble that, that they're going to be the fruit of that. And we'll stand there before him. And as I told you before, I had the thought of what would it be like to stand there naked, to stand there with nothing but my little good works to show, show for, for me and for how good I am. But the great news is we don't have to stand there before God just clothed with what we can do. We stand there before God clothed in what he did. We stand there before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. Just like that, that demoniac, the man with the legion of demons, clothed and in our right mind, clothed with our eyes fixed on Jesus, clothed and in his perfect presence. And I believe that we've got to get back to a place of seeing God as a holy God. See, as the church, as the big C church, the big church, we have a tendency to be like a pendulum where we tend to swing one way or the other. We don't typically spend a lot of time in, in the balanced area. We tend to go one way to, or the other. And I think in a good attempt to try to bring people close to God, we've talked about him as our daddy and, 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 and in, in pretty relaxed terms for a while. And I think we need to swing back the other way just a little bit to the part where we recognize him as being our holy father, perfect in every way remembering that he is still holy, that, that, that he is awesome. I was thinking about some scripture that, that points to that. In Isaiah chapter six, the prophet Isaiah, one of the prophets who wrote about the coming of Christ and what he would be hundreds of years before Jesus came, he wrote about the coming of Christ. And in his revelation of God, when he hears his call and, and God calls him to be a prophet, the Bible tells us that, that he saw God and he says that he saw him in, in his temple and that, that it was an incredible sight. He said that angels were singing. These angels that when people see them, they, 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 they would always fall as though they were dead. They would freak out. They would be afraid. Everywhere you see an angel in the Bible, people are freaking out. We think like with little wings and floating around on clouds, these are awesome creatures. And yet it says that their voice shook the threshold of the temple. 
Their voice shook the door frames of the temple. If they are that awesome, how much more awesome is our God? How much more incredible is he than they are? Isaiah saw him. He saw the revelation of God. He saw God in his temple. He saw the glory of God in this revelation. And it says that when he saw him, he says, woe is me. I am ruined because he saw how amazing and how good and how perfect God is. I've noticed this in my life, that when I draw near to God, I begin to recognize things in my life that don't line up with, with, with his life and that don't line up with him. And I become like Isaiah, woe is me, I'm ruined. In fact, I've recognized things in my life recently. There have been struggles, been battles. I recognize my own lustful heart, my own desire for things, my own struggles in those ways. I've been convicted a lot lately about not being the father that I need to be. Not leading my family the way I need to lead them. But the awesome thing is that when we come into our own struggles and our own difficulties and our own sin, the Bible says that Jesus or that that God or an angel, I'm sorry, one of the three, took a live coal from the altar and he touched Isaiah's lips and he said, Now you're clean. And it came from the altar because that's where the blood was sprinkled. And what I wanted to tell you is that Jesus, his blood was shed as a sacrifice. When he took your sin and my sin upon himself, his blood was shed on the cross so that we could be made clean. He took your sin and my sin to a cross, to an old wooden cross, and, and he was nailed there, and his blood was shed because he took the punishment for my sin and for your sin upon himself. And now he touches us and he makes us clean. He makes us whole. And he picks us up and he sets us on a foundation that is himself. And we begin again. Not to walk the same path that we just walked, but to walk a different direction. That's how good our God is. One of my favorite illustrations of the holiness of God and just the awesomeness of God is in the book of Revelation in chapter 1. I want to read this one to you. Beginning in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 1, it says, I, John, your brother... And companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. This is John the Apostle who's writing from the island of Patmos. He was exiled there for preaching the gospel and for sharing his faith and for living as a Christian. It says, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches in to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among them, 
the, among the lampstands was one like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Now, this is the revelation of Jesus. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. And listen to this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And I want to remind you that this is the Apostle John who at the Last Supper rested with his head on Jesus' chest. This is a man who was intimately acquainted with Jesus. He knew him really, really, really well. He knew him so well that Jesus took him in to see all of the miracles when other apostles and disciples didn't get to go in and see him doing miracles and doing different things. He always took John and James and Peter with him. He got to see all of these things. And yet this is a man who, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. Does that not tell us about how awesome he is? And I want us to understand that. I want us to come to him in confidence and in, in, in boldness, and, you know, come before his throne of grace, as scripture says. But I don't want us to lose sight of his awesomeness and his holiness, and his worthiness to be worshiped by us. I want us to lose sight of that. I believe after dealing with those things and giving us those three things to, to look at that hinder us from holiness, I believe Peter gives us some motivations for holiness. And I want to end with these. Verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect the first motivation I think to live this way to move past these hindrances and to, to move into God's holiness is we have to see the great cost that was paid for our salvation that's really what he's talking about here is he wants us to see the great cost of Jesus being sent to earth, that Jesus emptied himself, that Jesus came for us. That it cost God his best. It cost God his only. And now God asks us to give everything. The Bible tells us that we are to take up our cross and follow him. The Bible tells us that we're to count the cost before we just make up our mind to become a follower of Jesus. And we need to realize that only God could do what he did for us. Now he's asking us to follow him. But only God, only God could give his son, only God could do what needed to be done for salvation. The other day, we, after church, it was last Sunday actually, we uh, went to eat at Moe's. And we're standing in line and, and some of you probably met my little redhead, Reed, he's six years old. Um, I've talked about him, he's the one that ran the scooter into the wall. Um, that read um, that costs us money all the time by tearing things up. Um, that read, he's like a walking highlight film of crazy stuff that happens. Well, last Sunday we were at Moe's after lunch and uh, we're standing in line. And Reed comes up, he got a long sleeve shirt on and he reaches out his arms like this so his shirt kind of comes up. And I, I noticed he had a dot right here on this wrist and a dot right here on this wrist. And he was like, Dad, look. 
I was like, that's nice, Reed. You drill on yourself. Way to go, buddy. Good job. You know, trying to be a dad that's like encouraging. Those are great dots. Good, good job, buddy. And, uh, but he holds out his wrist and he's like, dad, I died on the cross. And I was like, Reed. I don't think you dying on the cross for us would do a whole lot of good for us. And it's hilarious. He's hilarious. He does crazy things like that all the time. And I was excited because I was like, wow, he actually is getting something. This stuff's sinking in. But I was like, it reminded me though that you and I could die on a cross. We could do that, but it wouldn't matter because we aren't perfect. We can't, we aren't clean. We can't take and make other people clean. See, Jesus was clean. He was without sin and he became unclean so that you and I could be made clean. So we gotta think about the cost of what it costs for our redemption. Verse 20, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. I wanna encourage you today and motivate, hopefully this motivates you to wanna live a life of holiness. But I want you to see that you weren't an afterthought that God didn't just one day wake up and say, ah, I might send Jesus, I guess I will. I'm feeling generous today. No, see, God had that plan from the beginning. He knew what it was gonna cost him from the beginning. And I want you to hear this. Some of you need to hear this because you think that God would do this for other people, but you don't think he would do it for you. And the reality of it is that you, listen to me, listen to me. Somebody, you know this is for you you were not an afterthought. You might've been to your mom or your dad. You might've felt like an afterthought your whole life. You might've thought, think that you didn't matter your whole life. And I don't know who that's for today, but I'm telling you today, you're not an afterthought. God had you planned. God wants you. You are precious to him. He desires a relationship with you. He wants to know you. You're not an afterthought. You're not an afterthought. Verse 21, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Another motivator for me is realizing that God proved himself to us, but he didn't have to. And that's what he's basically saying here is that through Jesus's death and resurrection, God's proved himself to us. And I, I'll be perfectly honest and I'll be as transparent as I can be with you that sometimes if I take the Bible and I break it into little small pieces and I just look at one story or, or one thing, sometimes it just really boggles my mind. I mean, when I think about like Jonah living in a big fish for three days, I'm like, what? Or I think about Moses, or yeah, Moses, I think it was, no, I'm kidding, I know it was, I know it was Moses. <laughs> you doubt me. Holding up his hands and the Red Sea parting, right? I hope that was, I'm just kidding. When I think about the, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and as soon as their feet hit, this flooding river separates and they walk across on dry ground. When I think about the virgin birth, if I were to take those things individually, those things are gonna boggle my mind. I'm like, whoa. 
But when I come back around and I look at the resurrection, it points me to the fact that all of those things are true, that this, this Bible, this word, every bit of it points us to Jesus and his death and his resurrection. And, and, and God shows us this. And even today, 2000 years later, we're able to see this. Think about the apostle Peter himself, a man who was scared to death, following Jesus at a distance after Jesus was arrested. And yet after the resurrection, after he saw the resurrected Jesus, you see that he is someone who gave his life for Christ. He believed it, he knew it, he saw it. It was so true, it was so sure that he gave his life to follow Christ. How about the apostle Paul, a murderer of Christians? Yeah, he did a 180 when he saw the resurrected Christ and he began to follow Jesus. How about James, the half-brother of Jesus? Think about that. The half-brother of Jesus because Joseph wasn't his earthly father. God was his father. And James, born after Jesus to Mary, was his half-brother and he wrote a book in the Bible and in that book he calls him Lord. What would it take for you to call your half-brother or half-sister Lord? But he saw the resurrected Jesus. Jesus revealed himself to him after he was resurrected. I think about just the movement in general, just Christianity. See, there were other people who had come along before Jesus who said, yeah, I'm the Messiah. And people began to follow him. They killed the leader and then everybody else dispersed and it died. But this has been going on for over 2,000 years. Our leader was killed, but that wasn't the end of the story. Because three days later, he rose. And because of that, billions of people's lives have been impacted billions of people have come in contact with and been filled with the Holy Spirit, changing them not just for this life, but for eternity. And this movement continues. And see church, if you're in Christ, we're a part of that movement. See, I know the assurance of the resurrection and of the future, hope of the resurrection because God resurrected me. For a lot of you out there today, God's resurrected you too. He's brought you back from the ashes. And he's given you a firm foundation in Christ. And he still does that today. The last thing I would tell you out of verses 22 through 25, he says, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The last thing I would tell you, and the last, last thing I see in this that is such a motivation to live holy, to pursue Jesus, is that you've been given new life that lasts forever. He says in here that you weren't born again. He talks about loving each other. We've been born again and we love each other. We've been given a new heart to love one another. Then he says, 
you weren't born again, you weren't born of perishable seed. In other words, this wasn't something that this, this new birth wasn't something that was done by your parents. It wasn't something that happened naturally. It happened supernaturally when you heard the word of God, the word that lasts forever, and it was empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, you came alive because you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so we've been given new life that lasts forever because of what Jesus has done. I guess today I want us to examine our hearts. What areas of our lives has God put his finger on this morning? Listen, maybe, maybe for you it's a recognition that I've never given my life to Christ. I've never said yes to a relationship with Jesus. I've never been made right by my faith in Christ. Maybe you've always felt like an afterthought. Certainly God's not interested in me and I'm telling you today that is a lie from the pit of hell. But if you're here today with a heart that says, I wanna be reconciled to God, I need to know him. I want to know him. I want a relationship with Jesus and I've never had that before. And today you say, that's what I want. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to stick your hand up and say yes to Christ right now. Yes to Jesus, that that's who I need. That's who I want in my life. All right, then this is what I want to do to close the service. I'm gonna pray. And if God's put his finger on something that you need to submit to him today, he's spoken to your heart. And when I pray, I wanna ask you to stand to your feet and act of faith. Saying, God, I'm submitting this to you. God, I'm letting this go. I'm surrendering it. Because that's how God works through his spirit. It says we surrender, he does work. If we open our hearts, he does work in our hearts that affects the outside of life. And so I wanna pray, I'm gonna ask you, you stand to your feet if that's you today and you need to surrender something to the Lord today. God's put his finger on something in your heart. Let's pray, God, thank you. Thank you for your love and grace in our lives. Thank you for your presence. God, thank you. Thank you that you gave us Jesus. That his death wasn't the end, but you gave us a, the hope of the resurrection and that one day too we'll be resurrected. Father, I pray that today for those who are submitting something to you, their heart, their life, I pray God, that you would touch their life, touch their heart, Holy Spirit, flood them, wash them, cleanse them. Give them strength, Lord, to continue to pursue you, continue to follow you. Wrap your arms around them. And let them know, God, how much you love them. God, I pray that we would never lose our awe of your love. 
let us press into that. Let us press into you. Let us run together this race that you've laid out before us. And I pray that we wouldn't turn back, but I pray that we would press on and press forward together as a family. When someone stumbles, that we would pick them up, that we would help them along. God, work in a mighty, 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 awesome way. And I pray for those who don't know you, that they would come to know you. And I pray for those who know you to live like you through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.